Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. What a powerful morning all across this campus. We're just hearing what God is up to, and we're so glad you're here today. If you have a Bible, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. And if you've been around here, you know that we've been in a series called Encounters. And if this is your first Sunday, this is a great day to sort of catch up in what is up to, what God is up to. An encounter is a moment in our lives that really can disrupt the path that we're on. All of us have encounters every day. We have encounters with people at work. We have encounters with people at the grocery store. We have encounters with people at Walmart. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen those people at Walmart? I'm one of those people. But anyway, right? So we have moments of encounters that honestly, sometimes they're positive. Sometimes those encounters are great. Sometimes those are moments that not only change your day for the positive, but oftentimes can even change your entire life. They're positive, disruptive moments that are unexpected. Most of the time when it's an encounter, you didn't see it coming. Most of the time when it's an encounter, you had no idea it's about to happen. But in that moment, your life changes forever. It really does. It changes forever. And so earlier this morning when I was just sort of thinking about this and, and I looked up on the front row and I saw Justin Cornell and Duncan. Jo- Justin is the U.S. Uh, Director of Care for AIDS and God really planted this ministry in his heart several years ago. He, he didn't see it coming. It was a disruptive moment where he, he didn't have it planned out. But just a few years ago, he was in, in Chicago for a leadership conference that caters to both religious leaders and business leaders, and they get them all together, and they say, what can we learn from one another? And one of the speakers that was there that day was Bono from YouTube, and Bono was there talking about this epidemic around the world with HIV and AIDS. He just, he just sort of described it, he spelled it out, and he looked at the church leaders in the room, and he basically asked the question, when is the church going to do something about it? When is the church going to, do, to begin to deal with this thing that's the number one thing around the world, and yet we've been silent? And so just in sitting there, God began to use that moment as an encounter, an encounter that began to stir his heart, an encounter that began to disrupt the trajectory of his life. And so a couple years later, he and some of his college buddies, they head to Kenya for 30 days to shoot a documentary. They're like, All right, our part of the job is to tell the story. We're going to come back home and we're going to tell the story of what's happening in Kenya and what's happening in East Africa. And so when, they, when he and his team goes to Kenya, a mutual friend of theirs randomly, just out of happenstance, quote-unquote, connects them with Duncan and Cornell. It's one of those encounter moments where Duncan and Cornell, for about 30 days or so, takes them around Kenya and helps them interview people and along the way. And again, it's just an encounter. It's a moment. It's a disruptive moment where something changes forever because in Duncan's life, there's a young man that his family adopted that, that, uh, with, uh, with HIV and AIDS. And then in Cornell's life, on the other side of Kenya, he's got a family member, his mom, that was diagnosed with HIV or AIDS. And, and somehow, quote unquote, randomly, God brought them together to serve together at a job and a ministry, and somehow they became friends, and somehow, quote-unquote, God brings Justin over, and what begins to happen is God uses that encounter now to literally change the lives of 4,000 people, 10,000 kids, and it was just a moment. They didn't see it coming. And we all have those moments, don't we? Maybe, maybe yours isn't around the other side of the world, but we all have defining moments. Sometimes it's at work where a coworker does something that really cuts at us, and it changes our relationship forever. 
Sometimes it's that phone call for your boss that says, I want to see you first thing in the morning. And that encounter, maybe it's not a good one, but it is a moment that disrupts your life and it changes the direction, the course of your life. We all have those moments. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking into the Bible and say there are moments when people meet Jesus. There are moments where they show up and they didn't see it coming. They didn't expect it. They didn't know it was going to happen. But from that moment on, their lives were forever changed. Week one, we talked about the skeptic, the guy that's skeptical. He's like, I don't really know who this Jesus is. Can anything come that's good from Nazareth? I don't know. And this guy gets to meet Jesus and his life's forever changed. Then last week, Pastor Chuck talked about the woman at the well who most of us would say, well, she's an evil sinner. And then he looked at John chapter 3 at Nicodemus who most would say he's a saint. And at the end of the day, Pastor Chuck said, when you come to Jesus, it doesn't matter your religious pedigree and it doesn't matter all of your mistakes. When you come to Jesus, we're all just sinners in need of a Savior. And that encounter changed their life forever. And the Bible is full of those. The Bible is full of people who met Jesus and their life changed for the positive. But that's not how it always happens. Today, if you have your Bibles, look in Mark chapter 10. Today, we're going to read about a guy that has one of the most uh, disappointing stories of encounter. Here's a guy in Mark chapter 10 that most of us would say, this guy's got it together. He was a moral person. He was a religious person. He had a lot going for him. He had a lot of money. He was respected in his community. And yet inside of him, there's this uneasiness. Inside of him, there's this question, is this all there is? Inside of him, even though he has a lot of money, and even though he has a lot of respect in the community, even though a lot of people envy him and look up to him, inside of him, he knows that there's something missing. And that's true in this room. There's a lot of us in this room that if we be real honest, we've come into this room from all different backgrounds. We've come in this room from all walks of life. When we come into a place like this, maybe you've got a great job, maybe you don't. Maybe you've got a great marriage, maybe you don't. Maybe you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter. You've come in here with this nagging question, is this all there is? Because here's what every single one of us knows, is that this life is short. It is. Even the longest life that we live is still short in sight of eternity. And so we come into a place like this wondering, maybe we've never said it out loud, but we wonder what really matters. So if you have your Bibles, let's just dive into the story. It's found in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, as Jesus was setting out on a journey. So Jesus has been traveling from place to place, from ministry of ministry, and he's been teaching And every place he goes, his popularity grows. People hear him teach, and they start spreading the word. They're like, this guy teaches like nobody we've ever heard before. We've heard a lot of lessons. We've heard a lot of sermons. We've been to the synagogue. We've been to the temple. But there's something different about this Jesus. And us, looking back on it, are like, yeah, of course, because... He's God, but we, they didn't get it at the moment, right? And so they're, they're just like, we want to hear him. We, we want to get as close as we can to Jesus. And so it says in verse 17, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. This didn't generally happen. This isn't the way you would normally come up to a person that's a teacher. It's not the way you would normally approach somebody that was known as a powerful teacher. But this guy shows up. He comes as a sign of respect or maybe even flattery. He kneels down before Jesus and listens to his question. Verse 17. And he asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a pretty good question, right? It's a pretty good question. He realizes that life is short. 
he realizes that every single person will spend forever someplace. That life is short, this earth is not all there is, that, that, that when we breathe our last breath, we enter into eternity, and we're going to live forever someplace. Everybody does. Every single person that, that lives will live forever someplace. And so this guy who has a lot going for him wants to know the answer to his question, how do I make sure I live with you forever? That's a great question. How do I know that I put my faith in the right thing? How do I know that my eternity is secure? How do I know that I'm not just living for today, but I'm living for forever? How do I know that? And that's a question that all of us need to ask at some point of our life. That's a question that we all have to deal with, that, that we all personally have to answer, what am I going to do with that fact that everybody spends forever someplace, that, that I don't just get to pick how I get to heaven, that that's not the answer, that we have to begin to ask the question, how do you know? And so here's what Jesus does, verse 18. I love how he does this. People come to Jesus all the time, that ask him questions all the time. And it's almost like a parent. Have you ever had that moment where you ask your parent a question and, the, and your parent responded by asking you another question? Have you ever had that happen? I think there's some mom class for that or something. You're like, just answer the question, right? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? And it just keeps going on and on and on and on. on. Well, this guy asked the question, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? And then there's awkward silence. <laughs> he lets it just hang out there. This guy shows up. He kneels down. He flatters Jesus. Hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And here's what Jesus knows. We don't necessarily get it from just reading it in English, but in the original language that this was written in, in Greek, you unpack that word good. He's actually saying a lot more than just good. He's not just saying, hey, you're a good speaker. You're an eloquent person. He's saying you're morally excellent. You're different. You're set apart. There's obviously something different about you. And so he says that to Jesus, and so Jesus wants to let it hang there for a minute and ask him, what do you mean by that? Are you just saying that, or do you believe it? Have you committed your heart to it, or are you just trying to flatter me? So he lets it hang there for a minute. He says, why do you call me good? Why? Verse 18, because no one, the reason why Jesus is asking, he says, no one is good except for God alone. So Jesus lets it hang there. Are you saying that I'm God? Are you putting your faith in me? After the awkward silence, Jesus moves on. He says in verse 19, you know the commandments. So he starts quoting from the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments. He says, you know the commandments, verse 19, do not murder, do not, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So he starts listing part of the Ten Commandments. He starts listing. They would know this as the law. He begins to list these things, and in verse 20, this guy's response is, teacher, I have kept all those things from my youth. He's saying to Jesus, all right, I, I, I want to know how I know I have eternal life. How do I know that I'm going to spend forever with you? And so Jesus responds and says, well, don't kill anybody. Don't sleep around. Honor your parents. Don't lie. Don't rip anybody off. And this guy begins to inflate his chest. He's like, I got this. And sometimes we get that way. We start looking at the people around us, and we're like, well, I haven't done what they've done. I haven't done what they've done. I haven't been as bad as that person. I've got this. I've got this. 
I'm a pretty good person. I'm going to earn my way into salvation. I'm going to earn my way into heaven. I'm a pretty good person. But here's the problem. Jesus turns the tables on this guy and helps this guy see it's not good people that get to spend eternity with Jesus. It is forgiven people that get to spend eternity with heaven. And this guy didn't get it. He's thinking, well, I've done all these good things. I've done everything great. I've got this figured out. And then listen to what Jesus says to him in verse 21. But there's one thing you lack. And I'm sure this caught his attention. He might have even got out his little bulletin and started writing this down. All right, Jesus, what's the one thing I'm missing? What is it? And here's what Jesus says to him. One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions. He probably didn't write that phrase down, did he? (laughs) What? Wait a minute. I've kept the law. I've done all of these good things, and I haven't done the bad things. And Jesus says to him, verse 21, Go and sell all that you have. Give that money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. This is an amazing encounter. This is Jesus offering an invitation to him. Jesus didn't do this for everybody that he came in contact with. He didn't do it for everybody. He did it for people like Matthew and Mark, Luke and John. He did it for those kind of people. And now Jesus is extending this invitation to this guy to say, come and be one of my followers. Come and be one of my disciples. Come and follow me. And yet the Bible says in verse 22, this guy heard these words and was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. This guy was offered an opportunity to be a follower of Jesus, and he left. Why would he do that? Why would anybody be offered eternal life? Why would anybody be offered the answer to that life's question? How do I know where I'm going to spend eternity? And he walked away. What is that one thing he lacked? Well, if you have your little bulletin, there's a couple of things I just want to point out that he lacked. The first one seems counterintuitive, but this guy lacked, number one, nothing. He lacked nothing. We see in this passage that he had a lot of possessions. We read over in the Gospel of Luke, who also records the story, who says that he's a ruler. And so when you look at this guy from the outside in and you ask the question, what does he lack? My first response is, he doesn't lack anything. If you look at him from the outside in, it looks like he's got a lot of money. It looks like he has a lot of possessions. He's a guy with unlimited potential. He's a leader in his community. He's respected by the people around him. He's ruling maybe even in a court. He's a guy that has manners. He's got morals. He's got his life together. This guy lacks nothing. But here's the deal about Jesus. Jesus sees beyond all of that stuff. He sees beyond all of that money. And he begins to see, here's a guy that, yes, maybe he's got plenty to live on. Yes, he's got money, he's got possessions, he's got riches, he's got stuff. He's got a lot to live on, but he's got very little to live for. See, stuff can make you comfortable. Money can make you sort of feel secure. But no matter how much stuff you have, it can never meet the basic spiritual need that we have for forgiveness. One thing you lack, what did he lack? Well, number one, he lacked nothing. Number two, it seems like he lacked, he lacked compassion. When he asks the question, he's asking it in a very self-centered sort of way. When he walks up to Jesus, he says, Good teacher, listen to this phrase, catch this, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He's focusing on himself. 
He's about, it's about me. What must I do? And, and here's what we know about that. That's a superficial way to live. It really is. That is a selfish way to live. He's living all about himself and not giving away to other people. It's all about me. See, Jesus says to him, go and sell all that you have and take that money and give it to the poor. It's like this guy has been living for himself. Is that how Jesus lived? No. Jesus had compassion on people. Jesus lived his life in the way that we describe it around here at Sugar Hill. The way that we want to live is with an open hand. We want to recognize that what we have isn't really ours, that what we have is on loan to us from God himself, that you and I are trustees of what he's given us. We, 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 we're, we've been appointed this stuff for us to manage on his behalf. We're called to be stewards of what he's blessed us with. And so Jesus teaches this, that we're to live lives instead of with closed hands holding on to our stuff, to live a life of open hands to say, what God has blessed me with, I need to turn around and use it to bless others. See, this guy lacked nothing. This guy lacked compassion. And then number three, this guy lacked faith. He lacked faith. See, what happened for him over time is he began to become so self-sufficient. What happened for him over time is he became so self-centered that he thought he could earn his way into heaven. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to, to get eternal life? Did he really think he could do enough stuff to get into heaven? Did he really think he, he, he could accumulate enough wealth to get into heaven? Did he really think that he could do enough stuff to cancel out his sin? I think he did. He thought he could. But that's shallow. That's a shallow view of sin. See, sin isn't just a list of do's and don'ts and things where we mess up. Sin really is a matter of the heart. It is this internal rebellion against our God, against our Creator. It's us inside of us. There's something broken that we can't do enough good stuff to, to, to make up for. He had a shallow view of the law itself. He's thinking, well, I've kept the law. I've done all of these good things. I haven't committed adultery, haven't slept around, I haven't done all of these bad things. I'm pretty good. But what he's missing is that the law was never intended to make us look like Jesus. The law can never do that. The law can never make us look more like Jesus. What the law does is it shows us that we need Jesus. The law is a mirror that we look into, and it shows our faults. It, it shows how we've fallen short of God's ideal. The law was never intended to make us look like Jesus. The only thing that can do that is His grace. And so he's got this shallow view of sin, a shallow view of the law. He's got a shallow view of salvation. He thinks he can earn it. He's got a shallow view of who Jesus is. He thinks Jesus is just a good teacher. And so in the middle of this moment when Jesus says, there is one thing you lack, he lacks true faith. He's put his trust in what he can do. He's put his trust in his money. He put his trust in all of this stuff, and here's what he learns on that day, and here's what we learn on this day, is that God's not looking for our money. God's not looking for our stuff. God's not looking at our religious checklists. What he really wants is he wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. And what Jesus does in every single one of these encounters is he meets people exactly where they're at, whether they're a tax collector 
whether a rich young ruler, whether they're a prostitute caught in adultery, whether they're American that have never even thought about those things, he meets us exactly where we're at and he exposes our need for a new leader in our life. And so here's what Jesus does. He looks at this guy that has amazing things going for him. He looks at this guy that by all accounts looks like he has it together, and he looks at him, and I love this. Look at, look at verse 21. It says, And looking at him, Jesus felt love for him. I love that. Jesus isn't angry at this guy. Jesus isn't beating this guy up. Jesus isn't saying, I can't believe you. I can't believe the way that you've been living. Instead, when Jesus looks at him, he looks through the eyes of grace. He looks through these eyes that say, but I love you. Why would Jesus say to a guy that's a ruler, why would Jesus say to a guy that has a lot of stuff and a lot of money, which most people in their day thought was a sign of blessing, why would Jesus say, give all that away? Why would Jesus say, walk away from all of that stuff and follow me? The reason why he would do that is the same reason he would say it to us, because he loves us. See, he's trying to help this guy understand that, yes, money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. Yes, stuff is great for being comfortable, but what happened for this guy is his money became more important than God, and then eventually his money became his God. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to turn away from every other God that you've been serving and follow me. Maybe for you it's not money. Maybe it's success. Maybe for you it's to know that your life matters. Maybe for you it's the house. Maybe for you it's the time off. Maybe for you it's the retirement. I don't know what that thing is for you. But what I do know is that God brought us here this morning for this encounter where he offers grace and he offers love and he says, come and follow and my prayer is this morning that you wouldn't put your trust in something or someone else. My prayer is this morning that you wouldn't try to, try to live and earn your way into heaven. My prayer is this morning that you would give to Jesus the one thing this guy couldn't. And that's your heart. That's your heart. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? There's nothing spiritual about bowing our heads and closing our eyes, but it does help us to focus. It does help us to to think about where we are in our walk with Christ. And it could be this morning that this is an encounter for you that you didn't see coming, but God orchestrated it, not because he's mad at you, not because he's angry at you, but because he loves you. He says, I, I, I know you've made mistakes. I know that you wish you could do some things over, but I love you. And this moment of encounter becomes that moment where your past becomes the past and you get a brand new start. This morning as we pray, is there anybody here this morning that just said, Bobby, pray for me. I know I'm a believer. I know I've been saved. I know that I've trusted Jesus, but honestly, somewhere along the way, I've drifted. Somewhere along the way, someone or something has become more important to me than Jesus. And this morning, I just ask, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would put my focus on that one thing again? Would you help me to focus on Jesus, not Jesus plus something, just Jesus? If that's you, you'd just be honest. You'd say, I know Christ, but I've been drifting. And you'd say, pray for me. Would you just slip your hand straight up in the air so I know how to pray for you this morning? Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? you just say, pray for me. I, I, I know I've drifted.
Let me ask a second question. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, Bobby, pray for me because I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I were to die today where I would spend forever at. I'm not sure where eternity would be for me. You just be honest. I'm not sure I've ever been saved. I'm not sure there's ever been a moment that I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and become the leader of my life, the boss of my life. And you just be honest and say, Bobby, pray for me. If that's you and you'd you'd let me do that this morning, I'd be so honored to do that. You just say, pray for me. I'm not sure if I'd die today where I'd spend forever. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip your hands straight up in the air so I know how to pray for you? Yeah. Anybody else? Just be honest. Pray for me. I'm not sure where I would go. As we pray, I'm reminded of the Gospel of John where Jesus prays. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. That's it. That's the one thing. The one thing isn't money. The one thing isn't stuff. The one thing is committing our life and our heart to Jesus. What I love is that the Bible teaches us that Jesus died on the cross for us even while we're still sinners. I love the Bible says in Romans 10 that if we believe in our heart, that Jesus is Lord, and we conf- if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. It's not about our performance, it's about where we put our faith. And so if that's you, if you've never been saved, would you pray this part of the prayer with me? It's not magical words, but it's powerful when it's connected to a heart that believes. And just say something like this, Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and that my sin separates me from you. but I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you're alive today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Help me to live for you. Again, it's not the words, it's the heart. If you prayed that and you meant it for the very first time, The Bible says that God saves you and he gives you a brand new start. If you prayed that for the first time after the service ends, if you don't mind, just take that little tear off on your bulletin and just check that box. I want to start my walk with Jesus. I want to start my relationship with Jesus and just drop it here at the front of the stage or give it to one of the greeters on your way out. We'd love to know that. I'd love to send you some info this week to help you with that decision. If you're a believer today and you've been drifting, would you just pray this part of the prayer with me? Dear Jesus, Help me to not lose sight of what really matters. Help me to trust everything with you. You're the giver of life. We trust you. Father, all across this room, help us to have an encounter to walk with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.